filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Yeah, so I I rescued two cats, and in turn, they ruined uh, a bed in my house, which is nice. So that's a fun thank you. Where did you find random cats? Uh, The MoCo Humane Society. Oh, nice. Yeah, which was nice. So yeah, the the whole family's happy, except for the guy cleaning up all the crap everywhere. That's me. (laughs) The rest of the family is in heaven with their new pet. Oh, and by by the way, uh, I will introduce myself since no one else here did. It's, thank you for welcoming to the party, guys. And then <laughs> just kind of going, the door opens to the party. You guys just give me a little look like, come on in. And then you walk away and start talking to other people. That's very nice. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I'll just go around and introduce myself. I'm I'm Roach. How are you? It's good to, it's good to speak with you. Hi. How are you? Hi. I'm going to make friends on my own here and then pretend like Ben and Jason aren't my friends anymore. So <laughs> thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me over. We, we, we blame Adam for all of this. <laughs> we're just not we're just not well behaved people. In the end, we just don't know how to act. Even even in even in a, a small group of people, we're still a mess. And that's uh, I want to say that's why people are listening, but I don't think that's true either. I I don't know why people tune in. I'm glad <laughs> they do. But the weird the weird thing is, and this will make it uh, awkward and uncomfortable. I don't really know you two. I know I know Adam, and I've met Adam on a number of occasions. I've spoken with him on a number of occasions. But I don't know either of you guys, so it's, it's weird that, that I would be here when Adam's not here, when he is really my only link to you guys in the show, and yet he's not here. So uh, well, I guess I'll find out about everybody's personality tonight. I, I You've probably already gotten some hints, uh, yeah. just in the last couple of minutes of... Uh... <laughs> Definite hints. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, are you, uh, what are you drinking? Uh, right now, uh, I have a... Where is it? Oh, I already t- tossed the can. Um, it's the oh, Sam Adams. Is this a re- this is a bit right? This is one of the things that we do. We, we, yeah. we what are we drinking? Is, is like the only uh, it's the only thing holding us tethered to the planet Earth, basically. <laughs> um, so uh, it's uh, Sam Adams is starting to make like nitro uh, cans. Oh, hell yeah! So this is a their nitro coffee stout. Um, I picked it up completely on a whim uh, tonight. Um, it's it's pretty good. It's got very it's very extreme. Like the the coffee flavor is very it's bitter in a good way, but it's like very bitter. Um, and then the, there's like a, like a lactose sort of sweetness to it that's also very sweet. Um, so it's definitely I, I like it, but it's definitely a strong beer. It's it's making no bones about what it's trying to do. How's the nitro aspect of it? Uh, it was all right. Um, it's kind did of you violently. Did you violently pour it in? No, I did not violently pour oh, it. Come in. on, that's the um, whole fun of nitro is being able to go boof. <laughs> I was a little worried because the can was talking about like, oh, if it's not chilled, it, it can uh, expand too much and it'll overflow your pint glass. So I was a little cautious about that. It actually started to kind of come close at the end. I've got like the oversized IKEA pint glass, and it still came kind of close to going wow. over. 
Um, so it's a generous amount of beer, I guess, um, or a generous amount of air in it anyway. I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'm going to out myself as the big dork in the room. Um, I am drinking a water because, uh, every mid March to mid April, I do a, uh, a full cleanse, which okay. includes cutting everything out. That is any, anything processed. Basically I don't drink, uh, or eat. So I'm not drinking any beer. For the last three weeks, I have one more week to go. Um, so I am going to be drinking vicariously through you. But I will tell you this, Jason, because somebody asked me about my favorite craft beer. And I said, I'm on a huge nitro kick. And okay. so uh, I will, in my head, this beer will be a left-hand uh, milk stout uh, on nitro. That's nice. In my head, that's what I'm drinking. It's a very clear uh, version of it. It's a <laughs> new blend. Um, but it's And I love nitro. So thank you for having a nitro in my honor. Ben, uh, Devil's Backbone is one of my favorite Virginia breweries. Uh, of course, and um, I picked up one of their mix packs from the store, and I am so I'm having their Five Apostles Saison, which this is the first time I've ever had it. They just kind of experiment in their rare series, and I love a good saison. And this one's it, it, it is a the very definition of a spring beer for me, and this one's really good too. It's it's weird you're drinking out of the bottle. Usually, I, I equate saisons with a nice nice glass, uh, some sort of cool glassware, and you're just going, ah, screw it, bottle. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm also lazy. I have cool glassware downstairs, but eh. <laughs> downstairs. We're, yeah. The, the issue here, and I'm glad I'm glad that something's um, made this occur to me. The issue here is that uh, Ben, as a Virginian, is nowhere near as refined as us in Maryland. True. Now. Now I've actually got, I finally got a uh, two Marylanders, uh, one non-Marylander balance, so I can uh, start to bully yeah. Ben Orr. I mean, I, I would I would like to say you're wrong, but you're not. And when you're right, you're right. So, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. That happens. Maryland rules! <laughs> I, I also, I want to be clear, I've also got a second beer on hand, because the first one's almost empty, um, and it is a Maryland beer. Uh, I got a Jeez. Manor Hill, uh, Manor Hill Brewing's Grisette. It's a farmhouse ale. I have never had it. Um, they just started carrying it at the liquor store I walked into, so I might start talking about it later. We'll see. It's weird because you, I was asking you guys before we started recording. Uh, I didn't know you had the juice to get the kind of guess that you have that you end up getting. Uh, but now I see all your juices tied into the <laughs> high-end beers that you drink. You guys are farmhouse ales. Saisons. Uh, this, this is a classy podcast. Uh, if, right now it is. If DC United <laughs> keeps playing the way they are, it's not going to stay classy. That's true. It's true. Uh, is, was that a segue, Ben? Can we? Are we segging? <laughs> sure. That, that, you guys talk about how unprofessional you are. You just segue. <laughs> that might be the best segue we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> You're just showing off now. I like that. So let's uh let let's segue to uh to uh the hashtag DCU after dark and the uh match on the West Coast uh Avaya Stadium, which looked beautiful on television, got me very, very jealous and longing for my stadium home as well. And their uh their draw against San Jose uh on Saturday night, DCU after dark. And if you had said going in, guys, that you would be able to pull a point uh based on United's form earlier this year so far based on their usual form when they go to the West Coast. I think most people, majority of people, have been really happy. Uh, but having the, the match that they were having and, and sitting on a lead that late, uh, a point feels a little bit hollow. Uh, am I wrong on that, Jason? No, it's it's tough to give up an 88th-minute goal um, in any was game. It 88th minute? See, I, I was yeah. – 
as we were as I was thinking about today, I'm like, you know, it's probably like 75th round there. So, you know, yes, okay. But yeah, 88th. Yeah, 88th. They were very close to escaping, um, which is just it, it hurts any time that happens, regardless of how good you are, how bad the opponent is home and away. Um, especially when you don't have any other wins to think back on. Uh, it's, it's especially upsetting. Um, but, you know, at the kickoff, I think most people, I know my prediction before the game, my prediction uh, in our prediction game was for a loss, a 2-1 loss. So if you had told me 1-1 uh, at kickoff, I would have taken it. If you had told me 15, 20 minutes into the game when San Jose was pretty much camping out in DC's end, I would have taken 1-1 at that time as well. But if you told me, 60, 70, 75 minutes that uh, the one nothing was not going to hold up, that's pretty upsetting. So it's it's definitely a mixed bag, especially the goal being an avoidable goal. It comes off of a mistake from a spindle trying to dribble out um, when it really wasn't the time to be trying to dribble. Um, the Quakes deserve some credit. They went to three forwards. They put Adam John in. I mean, it's not pretty. Um, you add a giant target man and you just have people whipping in crosses and seeing what happens, but that's what you get when you play the San Jose Earthquakes. That's what's going to happen. Um, and United dealt with it for a while, but eventually, you know, I, I'm not even sure John. It's also kind of frustrating because I'm not sure Adam John made good contact. I think that he was made like a horrible shin, contact. Yeah, it was a shin goal. Um, <laughs> he knocked it off his shin. Um, and that's why it goes in most likely. If he hits it with his foot, he probably put it over the bar. But uh, you know, all in all, it's not the it's not the wor- it's not the end of the world by any means to get a draw at San Jose. I mean, Portland lost in San Jose. Granted, Portland might not be that good right now, given what happened yesterday. But uh, you know, it's a mixed bag. It's definitely not the worst thing in the world, but it also stings to give up the goal so late. Well, two things. Uh, one, you mentioned maybe that wasn't the time to be dribbling out of your own half. Are we? And this is a question that that kind of popped into my head in the last few days. Are we sure that Fabi has a concept of what time is? <laughs> no, because uh, no. I feel like he, for him, the time to not do something is ne- that ne- that time never comes. It's always the time to do something if you're a spindle. Yeah, it's especially this season. There's been a. Um, I think there was a game. It was our last game, not not against uh, the Quakes, but before that, where he took I think seven shots. Um, I think he had as many, almost as many shots as. Uh, uh, as the opponent, uh, or close to it anyway, um, but he only had one on frame, and that's been happening a lot. He's been having a lot of shots blocked, so there's a lot of um, it's it's my time to do to, to make a big play to to carry this team on my back, and I think a lot of times he's getting in his own way because there there have been opportunities where maybe it wasn't the right time to shoot, maybe it's time to connect the pass and see if you can find a better shot than just whipping around and striking it and seeing what happens because United. If you look at the shot charts after the game, almost every game there's a line of MLS soccer uses yellow circles to indicate a blocked shot, and it's just a line at the top of the box, like a a wall (laughs) has been formed. Um, And a lot of those are spindle shots that are just getting blocked because people see it coming. And the way he's played this season, now it's sort of something you you have to prepare for. There's enough games on him where you say, look, he's just in a mood where he wants to shoot and he wants to score from 25 yards. Um, and he's, he's being a little impatient on the ball. And, you know, um, in this case, it wasn't the shooting decision at all. It was just a, a moment where he tried to round Shea Salinas, uh, when Salinas really had him dead to rights at that point, uh, the best outcome would have been just, if he, had, if he had just thumped the ball up the field, uh, to no one, it would have turned out much better, much um, better. 
if he had turned back and forced Salinas to defend him uh, and, and just sh- tried to shield him, that would have turned out better, I think. Um, but, you know, when you play a player like a Spindola who is unpredictable, even in the best of times, that's part of what makes him good when he's playing well. Um, yeah, but that could, so- that's, what, that's the part that concerns me. And I mentioned this to uh, uh, Sebi Salazar. We, uh, we, saw the, we were at the CONCACAF Champions League together, a uh, league match together, so we were talking throughout – and I, I told him, I was like, I'm getting a very Dero last year vibe from a Spindola this year, where it's like you always expected that guy to come through because he he carried the team for a while. And then his time of carrying the team passed, but nobody gave him the memo and kind of nobody hipped the team to the fact that he's his time is kind of passed and maybe he can't take the team on his back anymore. And maybe he's more of a complimentary guy uh, than the main guy. But nobody realized it till the season was just horribly, horribly far gone. And everybody was like, oh, wait, this guy might not be that great anymore. Um, and I'm getting that vibe from Fabi uh, this year, and I'm hoping that's not true. I mean, yeah, I can definitely see it as well. And it, he just tries to take over the game, and he can't anymore. And he needs to let people like uh, Lucho Acosta and Lamar Nagel and even Patrick Niarco and Chris Rolf have – have more influence on the game and try and get the rest of his teammates involved because yeah, at least right now he can't do it all alone and him trying to do so is at the detriment of the rest of the team right now. Jason, you brought up a great point um, about the fact that there hadn't been any wins, which kind of made this draw a little hollow. And I think as we talk about the match and the upcoming matches versus Vancouver and, and in the future, that's going to be a theme for me is trying to make sure that I take every part of this conversation for what it is. So like, why is, why is Luciano Costa not playing? And there, you have answers to the questions that, that make sense when you take them as a, as a singular object. But then when you start putting everything together, it's like, well, wait, no, 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 no. And I feel like you're right because if, if they had a win going into that match and came out with a draw, We'd, we'd be all walking around like we're uh, a top Eastern Conference club. And then I got to think back to the uh, JLA coverage. And um, that, that could be the saddest get you hyped up montage ever <laughs> where they, they, they show like one or two goals. And then like one of the highlights of this year so far has been the Boswell uh, blocking the shot with his back. Yeah, uh, against yeah. the revs, and I'm like, really, this is this is the best we got so far, huh? Okay, right, this this makes the highlight package. So I'm just hoping for goals so that highlight package gets better. Yeah, and and it kind of goes to the issue with Spindola, um, where the offense is kind of there are certain players that look like they're kind of involved a little more than a Spindola uh, as far as creating for others, and it does make you wonder. You know, the the problem becomes fitting all the pieces together because Espindola, Rolf, Acosta, they all play better underneath something. You can't, I mean, Rolf and Acosta, I don't think you can even play them together because of how much they need to be underneath. You you would have even, uh, it would just make that problem bigger um, because Espindola already doesn't really take up the center forward channel. Um, no one on the team really, I mean, that's why Patrick Niarcos ends up, ends up coming in yeah. from the right to uh, head in uh, a, a point blank header because no one's taking up that spot otherwise. Um, and so he ends up having to, you know, truck 30, 40 yards to get there. Um, and that's kind of an issue with, with the way the rosters comprise because, you know, Alvaro Saborio would do that, but he hasn't really justified the minutes. Um, he, I mean, his spot on the 
you know, he's getting some substitute appearances and that seems pretty fair to me at this point based on his play. But on the other hand, like the team, we need somebody in there looking to score that kind of goal. Um, and it can't be hoping that Niarco and Nagel come from the wings to get there. Um, it can't be hoping that Chris Roth or Luciano Acosta are arriving in the box to score headers because I don't, I don't think that's a good plan. Um, so, you know, we need a spindle, uh, yeah, this is why Spindola maybe shouldn't be shooting so often is because if he lays off a pass and then makes a run, all of a sudden yes. he's getting an easy opportunity rather than a difficult one. Um, but it also, you know, you have to look at everybody at this point because the team, you know, this was a good goal scoring outing in that they did score a goal. Um, that's <laughs> that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, and a beautiful and, goal. I mean, let's, yeah. not, let's not undersell the fact that the that was a very – very well taken goal. It was a great build up, and it was a fantastic cross from from Nagel. Yeah, and Nagel actually ended up on um, on MLS's team of the week. And I think does that really look, say a lot about Nagel or just the crappiness of the week in MLS? It wasn't a good week. It's true, but I, I think you know, looking at because we we have SB Nation as their own player of the week voting, and I have to um, go through. You know, I can't. I don't. I'm not going to have the time to like live a life and then also watch all of the games from this weekend. So. Some of it I am going to have to go through and look at numbers and highlights and stuff like that. But Nagel's, the numbers for Nagel stack up so far. I mean, I haven't seen everything. And he's not going to beat Kaká for player of the week, I don't think. I think that one kind of is uh, one of the easiest decisions anyone's going to make. But um, he did. He ended up with four key passes. Um, he has the assist. He had the shot off the crossbar. Um, his corner kicks. Uh, we were actually asked... Uh, uh, offline by some of the Seattle writers as to why Nagel was taking our corner kicks. Um, and this was last week, and my response at the time was like, we don't really have anyone that can take corner kicks uh, consistently well. Yeah. This week, Nagel actually did a pretty decent job. We almost, you know, Boswell and Birnbaum both almost scored off of the one uh, just after the shot off the crossbar. Yeah. Um, that so, so Nagel really... Um, you know, I think he he's smart enough to realize that with if he if Acosta isn't playing, uh, that means that he is just barely keeping a spot in the starting eleven, um, because Acosta is so talented. It's obvious that he needs to get on the field somewhere. Um, and Nagel really justified his continued presence in the lineup. Uh, and Rolf did, I think, as well. You know, he yeah. had the pass to Nagel. Um, he he was uh pretty smart. I thought the the Quakes didn't really seemed comfortable when he got away. He didn't get on the ball very much, but when he did, they seemed a little uncomfortable with him. Um, and so you have to start wondering, you know, can this team continue starting a Spindola who at his best is the best attacker on the team, but hasn't been at his best in any game. He doesn't have one game this season where we could say, oh, there he was at his best. This might have been his best game, uh, in all honesty. he he. I thought he improved on a lot of his flaws, and it was still a flawed performance. Um which indicates just how far he had to go from the last few games to, to being what we expect and what, you know, quite honestly, what the team is paying for. He's the only designated player on the team. He's keeping, arguably he's keeping Acosta out. So um, it's a, it's a tough question for, for Olsen right now to answer because, you know, Nagel fits the left midfield role really well. I think Um, he does, he's more athletic than Rolf. He can do more of the defensive work. Those things really matter in that position. Rolf has been creating for others, not maybe not in a high, uh, you know, an eye-catching way, but he's doing it. Um, Niarco has been playing really well. He scored the goal um, a couple weeks ago. He should have had a penalty. What are we on? Uh, Six hundred missed penalties at this point. Yep. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be. A, I would I would hope it's a tough week of training where a spindle is having to earn his starting spot because there are plenty of guys pushing pretty hard. Um, and we keep seeing a you know Acosta almost sprung in stoppage time. We almost got a game winner from Acosta. Uh, basically winning a tackle and sprinting 60 yards to supply a Spindola looking for a, a very long distance give and go. A Spindola at that point, um, at, at the time, I was broken up about it. If people were up and were following me on Twitter, they know I was just very frustrated that he couldn't make that pass. But he had been expecting to sub out. Um, he had been running for the full 90 minutes. He had worked very hard. That was a tired player's pass. Um, that was the pass of someone who just didn't have the the legs or the focus to strike that one pass that he needed to strike perfectly. He just couldn't do it. Um, so that one I'm a little less upset with, but Acosta deserves a lot of credit for turning pretty much nothing into a potential game winner in stoppage time. So it's not like he's not pushing for tight. It's not like he's not earning uh, more minutes than he's gotten. So it, it's going to be an interesting lineup, I would say, coming up uh, against the Whitecaps for sure. Can I? Uh, can we get to the speculation portion of the podcast? Um, and I saw this. It's probably on Black and Red United dot com uh, in the comment section. But I specifically, because uh, I was telling my kid who's who's eight years old, and he, you know, he's not small for his age, but he's small for a human being. So he loves Jovenko because he's small, and you can see a little small guy out there doing stuff. So when they signed Acosta, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Now we got a little guy that I can point to my kid and say, why don't you follow that guy? So this was his first match was last week against FC Dallas. Boy, was he happy to see that. And uh, I was like, you're going to you're going to love Acosta. You're going to love Acosta. Uh, Acosta's not in the game. So uh, I was the, the entire time. I'm like, why are we not playing Acosta? So when the match ended, I, I specifically said to myself, just watch and see what happens. And the match ended and Acosta was kind of by the locker room as it was on the on the on the field. And. He just, as soon as the match ended, he stopped, walked, he stopped running, turned and walked off. And he didn't say anything to anybody except for a spindle who came up to him, put his arm around him. And then he, they had a couple words and then a spindle appealed off to thank the, the fans. And Acosta just ran right into the, uh, into the locker room. I saw, uh, on the, on the site in the comment section that kind of the same thing happened at Avaya as well after the match. That could be rumor speculation, but I know for a fact it happened, uh, at RFK. And I start thinking to myself, uh, here we go. This guy's not feeling very good and feeling like, what, what do I have to do? Um, are we worried at all that maybe uh, we're alienating a guy who I look at as we could have this guy going into buzzer point and beyond as a, guy, as a kind of guy we can build a team around? And already he's got the attitude of me. Like I see the attitude, the body language of this. This isn't what I signed up for. I mean, I think definitely – he has some right to be frustrated because he's obviously a better player than most of the people who are keeping him off the field right now. And at this point, United isn't good enough to demand the exclusion of someone with his talent just because uh, the system demands it. I think you have to find a way to get Acosta on the field, whether it's underneath, whether it's as uh, coming in from the wing and tucking inside. Uh, I think you just have to find a way to get him on the field and then move the other pieces around him. It's not to keep him happy necessarily, but it's because he is obviously a more talented player and a differently talented player than United has had in quite a long time. And I, I, the only thing I can say in, in the defense of Ben is he's he's made comments about fitness levels of certain players. Um, 
Halstey and others. He didn't mention the others, but Halstey for sure. Um, and the only thing I can think of, because uh, Acosta has gassed out of every game that he's played. I mean, it's gotten to the point where he's very lively with the matches he's played for the first 45 minutes. He's less li- lively for that first 15 or 20 minutes after halftime, and then he's done for the for the match, and they, they sub him out. And if you're going to have Rolf as a 60-minute guy, can you can you afford to have two guys who you know you're going to have to sub out at the 60-minute mark at, at this stage of the game? And maybe the answer is no, and maybe that's why he's not playing yet. Yeah, that, that's probably part of the issue. Um, I do think, what was it, against, I want to say against Colorado, he came out right on the hour mark. Um, that struck me as a little early. I thought he still had a little more left in the tank at that point. Um, but part of this is a young player who he's adjusting to a, a league that is more frenetic than Argentina. Um, and also young players, and he, you know, we see Acosta winning tackles and pressuring people. Um, sometimes they don't necessarily have a good gauge on how to pace themselves so they can go the full 90. Um, whereas with Rolf, you know, he's in his 30s, so you have to be a little concerned with how how much can he run in any given game. I do think Olsen sometimes has pulled the trigger on on subbing out Rolf a little early as well. Um, but I, it, with Acosta, I think it's a little bit of both right now. He's got to adjust to a league that he's not necessarily used to. Um, I think I think the, the the higher pressure, the higher line that United has played this year, not that they're a sporting Kansas City at their their most aggressive um, or last year's Red Bulls in terms of pressing people, but they are pressing more. Um, I think that fits. I think a lot of things with what they do fit um, what he wants to do. Um, and so I can see why he would be a little puzzled at this point as to how he's not on the field somewhere. Um, we did see him play out on the left uh, after the red card against um, Colorado, or not against Colorado, against Dallas. I keep wanting to block that game out like it didn't yes. happen. Um, but, uh, that was, I, I think that was a combination of, well, let's get him in the game, you know, let's give him some minutes, but we can't play him alone up front when, he, when he is the size he is. Um, so why don't we just try him on the wing and see what happens? And what happened was he actually, you know, he looked kind of bright. Um, it didn't seem to bother him too much to be stuck out of the wing. Some guys that are, you know, have been told all their life, oh, you're a number 10, you're a playmaker. Um, especially at a club like Boca Juniors, where that's like a that's a, a much more meaningful position than almost anywhere in the world. Um, the number ten role. Um, some guys that you tell them that, and then they get stuck out on the wing in an MLS game. They they don't take it very well. Um, and he didn't seem put off by. I think he might be more bothered just by the fact that he's not starting um, than anything else. I, I I get the vibe, and this is definitely since we're in the speculation section of the show. Yes. This is, hugely speculative, but I do get the vibe that I don't think he would care if he was the second forward or as an attacking midfielder in a diamond of some kind or out on the wing. I think he just wants to be on the field, and I think he yes. could play on the wing. He has the tools for it anyway. He's fast. Uh, he works hard. He's he's feisty. He's not shying away from his defensive duties. Uh, he can dribble better than anyone on the team, I think. Um, so the, a lot of what you would want in a winger is there. Um, it's just a matter of does does Olsen want to give him that chance? Um, he might get that chance uh, coming up um, with with Niarco taking that heavy fall. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think fans have every right to wonder where where Acosta is in the starting lineup because when your team isn't scoring goals, you it's a hard thing. That, like Ben said, it's hard to justify keeping out a player that's that good at creating and breaking people down on the dribble and all that 
when you're not scoring goals. You've got to find a way to start scoring goals to win games. I mean, if United had finished one more goal against the Quakes uh, at some point in that game, we're not talking about a draw. We're talking about a, a pretty feel-good win on you know going cross-country against a team that's known for its defending. Um, and I think there was there were moments in that game where he could have been of more use had he been on the field than you know he ended up getting 14 minutes plus stoppage time. So that's not a that's not the best scenario. But you know uh, there is the situation with him and Rolf. Um, where if you're if you're thinking to yourself that you can't have both of them play a full 90, then, yeah, one of them does have to sit. I just don't know that that's, that actually has to be the case. I don't know that Rolf actually will not be able to play 90 minutes. He might not be able to play 90 minutes every week, and you might have to go back and forth for a little while. Um, or even, you know, every once in a while you have to rest him. Uh, he doesn't start. You know, you just give him that week where he's got to play 30 instead of 60 to 90. Um, but, you know, somewhere in there – in all of this, there's a lot of, you know, shifting parts and all that going on. But, you know, bottom line, you got to find a way to get the guy on the field um, or, it, with Acosta. He's got to be playing. Or even if you can't play both Rolf and Acosta, maybe you just have to sit Rolf instead. You bite your tongue. You bite your tongue. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm of the opinion that you can play them both. Mm-hmm. Um and, and this this will segue to, to the the thing I really want to get you guys and your thoughts on uh, as far as the San Jose match is concerned. It, it first of all the play of Jeffrey uh, and and Jason. It was your tweet that kind of got me looking at him because you mentioned at the beginning of the match he was a little bit shaky, um, and, which is understandable. I mean, this yeah. to me this is this is this guy's last shot to show I'm not just a guy you can you have to send to Richmond every year. And so I understand the importance of the match for him. And he, he did come into the match, and while he wasn't showy, he, he did a job, and he did the job well. Um, but that that central area of midfield, especially as we go back and start looking at the defensive duties in the central midfield, to me, that's the part that is still the most unsettled and the thing that hasn't come together and the thing that's going to have to come together for this team to do whatever it is it's going to do. I'm, I'm fine with the outside options. I think the defense has been... Okay, especially without Hamid, but I just think that 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 what what they're not getting is whatever it is. It's coming from the the number six and the number eight position. It, it's interesting that that you know that Jeffrey came in and, and you know I I can't remember the last time he played with the first team around him. You know, he played a bunch last year when United had to rest guys on a Wednesday because they had four or five games like that where it was just straight A team B team. Yep. Um, and he did okay in those games, but uh, you know those games were against like the Pittsburgh Riverhounds last year's Chicago yep. Fire, um, which was of those two the worst team is the Fire by by some margin. <laughs> um, but uh, you know it it was a little it, it was an interesting thing building up to the game because it's like well Halsty only just started having like real practice sessions he's not going to be in contention. Um, we actually were wondering if um, you know Paul Klaus didn't get. Uh, name to the bench, but it was like, he might have to be on the bench. He might even be in contention to start for all we know. Um, but Jeffrey came in and he really, uh, you know, I, I think there was an, an, an attempt to overstate because people had such low expectations because it's been so long since he's been playing regularly uh, with the starting group. Um, so I think there was a little uh, tendency to overstate how well he played, but he did play well. 
Um, he did have some moments that really stand out. The, the moment where he tackled the ball and then created a, um, a through ball for a Spindola that the Spindola just shot a little wide. Um, he did all right. Um, I think he put himself back into the conversation, especially when the midfield mix doesn't really fit together. It's another issue with the way the roster is constructed, I guess, because um, Sarvas is better as a number eight than he is as a six. He's been really playing about as well as I possibly could have imagined in uh, in that defensive midfield role, um, having to be the more defensive-minded player alongside De Leon, but that's not what he's best at. Um, and I don't know that it's the best way to get um, his best long-term at, at 34 years old to try and, and ask him to play a new role full-time. Um, but with Halsey not being fit and then having an injury on top of it, there's no there there up until now there wasn't any competition for those spots. There was no question. It was just well we can't play Saravas in a deep deep role, so we can't really shift to a diamond. And it, shifting to a diamond takes a long time anyway. It's one of the hardest formations to really figure out over time. It, it's it's why it took Jason Christ a couple years at RSL before they started playing well. Um, but the the other issue becomes you know if Jeffrey can actually play at that level. And or if Halsty comes back and shows us the you know the kind of form that most likely won him the best eleven um, nomination in Sweden uh, in the Swedish Swedish first division before he came over, um, and he's playing for a Champions League team, he can't be that bad. Um, and we just haven't seen that form here. Um, so with, with those two guys both hopefully competing for time, we might see a transition to what kind of something that I thought before the season, which was that. Dalian was going to play in the center while we needed it. And then he would sort of become one more guy competing for minutes on the flanks. Um, and sometimes playing in the middle, it'd be sort of a utility midfielder um, playing. Which, really- which, which by the way, for the next run, that is his position. Yeah. The, for the first guy on the bench who you go, anything we need, this is the guy that's going to provide it is, is Nick DeLeon because um, uh, I, we're about to start the Nick DeLeon conversation and I don't, I don't want it to come off like I'm anti Nick. I'm not anti Nick. I just don't think Nick, like, because in that whole thing that you just said, there was never a statement of, well, instead of Nick DeLeon. And the reason I think that you said that, Jason, is because for some reason, he's the first guy on the lineup sheet every single week. And the one guy who it seems as if, is not moving, uh, moving out or not going to start. I feel like I feel like Ben Olsen loves Nick DeLeon to the point where it's like, hey, dude, you know, if you could try some combinations that don't include Nick DeLeon as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and oh, go ahead, Ben. Well, I was just gonna say I was just looking at uh, Jared Jeffrey's stats and his eighty-three percent passing uh, rate completion rate uh, over the weekend is uh, much higher than what DC United has been averaging and the fact that he did sit back deeper than a uh, Sarvas would. And he seemed just to, to want to get to every loose ball, even though you don't think of him as a midfield destroyer or anything like that. He just wanted to get to everything and he put most of his balls forward and just, I don't know. I think a Sarvas Jeffrey combination has some possibilities that you might not get with the Sarvas De Leon combination. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, and and it's it's down to the distribution of roles there. Where Jeffrey, if anything, the issue for Jeffrey over the years has been that he doesn't really belong in a flat four four two. He he belongs deeper than we don't have a position for him 
Um, if we played five midfielders, he would be the deepest guy. He would be standing just in front of the center backs. Um, or if we played four three three, which you know might be fun, uh, but you know we haven't re- we haven't really built a roster for it. Um, and that's been part of the problem for Jeffrey is that he doesn't fit, or he has I should say he hasn't fit the four four two defensive midfielder job. He looked like he's learned a lot um, since we last saw him, since the last time he had to play that role in a game uh, with the first team. He looked a lot better and a lot more comfortable focusing on purely winning the ball and getting it to other people, you know, being a true number six. Um, and Ben's right. Uh, it has to be considered at this point, giving Sarvas a little more freedom to go forward because he's actually a pretty good, good creative player that's what got him what got him into MLS at all was the fact that the Galaxy knew they needed to replace David Beckham and they happened to play Sarvas and um, Alaholense in the Champions League and Sarvas had pretty much the same job that Beckham had for LA and he played really well he actually I think Alaholense won that game pretty handily or that uh, quarterfinal pretty handily um, or maybe it was group stage in any case Alaholense was the better team in both of those games and they thought Beckham was done. Sarvas came in and they're like, actually Beckham's still going to be sticking around. So we'll just find something else for you to do. Um, that's really what Sarvas is best at though, is being a distributive hub uh, where, where he, he works plenty. He, he puts in a ton of work, but he's not your most defensive player. Um, yep. And so having Jeffrey alongside him, if Jeffrey can replicate this sort of performance or if Halstey can replicate that sort of performance, um, or somebody else, you know, in the summer window coming in, or actually, I mean, the window in MLS is still open for about a month, if I'm not mistaken. So um, there's still time for, not that they have roster space, but they've still got some options to sign someone that partners better with Sarvas. I think De Leon has done about as well as you can ask for someone this early in a transition to central midfield. Agreed. Um, you know, he's definitely connecting a ton of passes, I think, um, other than the other than the game against New England, against New England he was very poor. Um, other than that, he's been eighty to. I think there was one game where he got up above ninety percent in uh, passing complete. I think he missed like three passes in one game out of like forty or something along those lines. Um, so that part of the job where he's linking play with others is good because he doesn't have to create. Um, he doesn't have to be a creative uh, hub for the team. He just has to get it to the players who have that job. And in this setup, it's the wingers and the forwards. And he's mostly done a good job of that. Um, his physical strength is a huge asset in central midfield. His ability, he's never going to be fast, but his first five or six steps are pretty good. Um, he tends to give himself uh, some space by doing that. Those are important skill sets um, for a central midfielder. I can see why Olsen is is really excited about the possibility of getting, getting something out of him because the raw the raw ability of Dalio and the overall package, it, it points towards a player who should be effective in MLS. At the same time, United needs to have a better distribution of roles in central midfield. They need, you know, Sarvas has been the best player on the team so far, I, I would say. Um, and you have to find somebody that can complement him a little more. Um, and if, if Dalion and Niarco and Nagel are all fighting for two wide spots, if, De Leon becomes a guy that starts on the road when it's a little more of a conservative uh, thought process where possession and defensive positioning are more important. Those are fine. Or we could even look at, I mean, we don't really have a forward for a lone forward system, but um, 
if, if, if that comes to pass, then you could have three central midfielders. And then I think we would see a little more from De Leon. I think that would be a better system for him. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to see a transition to a point where he's not guaranteed to start, not necessarily as a knock on him, but as a sign that the roster is good enough that a player yes. with his skills isn't on the field. That's, that's a good problem to have. Um, yes. when you look at some of the other teams at the top of the standings, um, or the teams, I shouldn't say that because the standings are insane right now. Um, but the teams that you expect to end up winning things at the end of the year, you see FC Dallas and they're looking at, you know, benching Kellen Acosta or Victor Uyoa, um in central midfield. Um, they came to RFK with seven guys called up for international call-ups and they still ended up putting a very strong team on the field. Um, Vancouver, you know, we'll, we'll get into it later, but Vancouver uh, might be, a, they might actually be a little too short uh, at this point, the number of things that they've got going on, but um, they can go pretty deep and they've got good players who are sitting there not getting starts. Um, Christian Bolaños, who plays, I think he even started for Costa Rica during the last international window, did not start for Vancouver uh, against the Galaxy. So um, that's the kind of problem you want to have where you're saying, wow, this guy's really good and he's not starting. That's that's something. It's kind of weird how this is a conflict with Acosta, who is really good and isn't starting, but we're upset with that. Whereas in this situation, um, we're looking to push De Leon. But, but I mean, it does make sense um, in both cases uh, that if United isn't necessarily having to start De Leon, it, it would be a good sign. Um, but we need somebody to step up. You know, we need to know that Jeffrey can play that way or better over and over again, or if Halsey can be better than he was in 2015, we need those things to happen and we don't know that they're going to happen. So it might be a while um, with De Leon and Sarvas. That partnership may continue for another month or so, um, especially if De Leon keeps playing at least okay. If he doesn't have another bad game like against New England, you know, Olsen really, really, really wants this to work out with the De Leon. So it might be a little while, but, you know, if we're looking at, if we're still on zero wins or if we're still scoring less than a goal a game uh, with all these home games coming up, then at that point, I don't think anyone can be sure of their starting spot except maybe Burnbaum. A lot of this, I feel, and, and I'm going to say this, and I'll tell you that he is my favorite player on DC United right now. And if I were a professional soccer player, his his style would be the style that I would want to play. But a lot of this comes down to to Holsty and how disappointing he's been, uh, because if, if if he were there, I don't know if the Nick De Leon experiment even happens. Um, there's no there's no hole in the lineup that we keep trying to put somebody who is really not fully equipped to be in that hole in the lineup plays. And I feel like if if everything were were equal, a Holsty service combination would be the most ideal combination that you would have in midfield, but because Halsey hasn't been able to put it together and he didn't all of last year. And it's really disappointing that he would come in, not fully fit this year and then pick up an injury. A lot of this has to do with him because he's the player for that, that that's missing right now that puts the whole puzzle together for everybody else to fall into. Yeah. That, yeah. And, and oh, go ahead, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, he is ideally situated on paper for that exact role. And, it, it would look like to be a, and he has a great resume coming from the, uh, the Champions League and from Sweden. And yeah, it, this, this was, and 
when he was next to Perry Kitchen, it was always they were a little bit tripping over themselves. They were kind of playing yeah. the same role. But with him and Sarvas together, it looks it looked like it would be a good balance. And then he comes in uh, a little out, out of out of shape, and then gets injured, just like uh, his first season in DC United. And it just looks like circumstance may never let it happen. Hopefully he can get fit here soon and then just force himself into the lineup in the next couple of weeks. But if not, I don't know if he sticks around after the the summer window, if he can't put it together in this next month or so. And that's not even factoring the, the cap hit, where yeah, it's like yeah. he's, he's also taking up a huge chunk of change yeah. that they could go get somebody else that they can't because of, of this situation. Yeah. Jason, as we start going into looking ahead to Vancouver uh, back at RFK, uh, let's just touch on it right now before we go into break. And that would be uh, the Nayarko situation. And I'm sure depending on when somebody's listening to this, they'll have a much clearer picture than, than we are as we're talking about it now. Um, I, I didn't think Nayarko looked that good in preseason. So I, w- I had very low expectations. He's been one of the best attacking players for United, maybe outside of Acosta, and maybe even more so than Acosta because he's played more and had more influence in, in more matches. Um, him going down is, is, is a huge thing. And I know that in, on paper, this, the team seems pretty stacked as far as outside midfield options. But who, who's first up to, to maybe replace Nyarko if he can't go uh, on, uh, against Vancouver or maybe even moving forward? Uh, it's it's definitely not the best uh, question to have to confront for a team that can't score to lose one of the, the players who's actually getting something done on offense. Um, and we don't know, you know, I think we heard today that it's a hit pointer um, and he's day-to-day, which is, you know, team speak across sports for who knows what's going to happen. Um, it means he's probably not, like, out for months. That's good yeah. news. Um, but uh, it's it's a, definitely a situation um, – you know, Miguel Aguilar definitely would bring the dribbling ability um, and the natural winger's mindset that Niarco has. But, you know, the questions, it's not so much his defensive work rate, which is he's a very hardworking player. It's the decisions he makes um, with and without the ball that are always going to be a question. I was glad to see him get into this game um, earlier than even, even than Rob Vincent, who is a player I also like. But in this situation, I thought he was the better player to bring in. And, and that's what Olsen did. He brought in. Uh, Aguilar is, is his first sub, actually. Um, so that that is an indicator that he might have a chance to be the starter. Um, Vincent, up until this point, appeared to have the edge as the third winger um, in the group. So he's also definitely uh, a factor. Um, he, and he's less of a dribbler um, and more of a guy that's going to keep possession. And he is a good goal-scoring threat. Um, I'll give Vincent that. Um, a very good long-range shot. We only saw it once in the preseason. He had a, a low shot that missed by inches, uh, again, I think, against the Rowdies. Um, uh, a pretty good effort. So um, that's that's an interesting thing to look at. We already talked about Acosta possibly playing as a winger. This is a way for him to get on the field, whether it's him up front and Rolf going out to the right. Um, whether it's Rolf going to the left and Nagel coming across, or if it's Acosta playing on the wing, it does open up the option of getting him into the game, uh, which I think a lot of fans would love to see. I, I don't think people are going to be too... There are a certain segment of fans that will be upset if he's not playing centrally. Um, but for everyone else that just wants to see the guy on the field, yes. if you get told he's playing right midfield, uh, I think it's like, oh, that's interesting, and I'm looking forward to it. It's worth a roll of the dice, but I'm also very interested in seeing Miguel Aguilar playing as well. So um, I would like to see either of them, 
but I also think there's a chance that Vincent plays. And if he does, you know, hopefully United is willing to adjust to get the best out of him because he is a different sort of player and they're going to have to play differently with him coming in for Niarco than they would with Aguilar or Acosta or someone else who's more of a uh, traditional dribbling winger. You know, uh, as we go to our first break, we'll come back. We'll preview uh, the Vancouver Whitecap match. Uh, I talked about you guys not having juice, and you guys have a lot of juice to get guests. Um, a guy who's going to sum up uh, the San Jose match uh, with, with just one or two lines is also somebody that I didn't think you guys could get, but apparently you did. Uh, Bruce Murray, what were your thoughts on that San Jose DC United performance, especially the United performance? I think that's one of the gutiest performances I've ever seen, uh, both in terms of Major League Soccer and my international career. All right. I mean, so there you go. I mean, it, Bruce says it's one of the guttiest performance he's ever seen, guys. I mean, both you got to take that. In MLS and internationally. Uh, and on that note, and, and Russ Taylor's face, <laughs> when that line, we'll be right back. Well, it's a it's a new season here in D.C. for D.C. United and for us here at Filibuster as we enter season number five of the podcast. Yay, us. Happy birthday, us. Uh, we want to take time to record a new message from our sponsor, the Ehrlich Law Office. They provide discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for those of us living in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. Sorry, Jason. You're out of luck. I, I guess I'm doomed. You, you are doomed. Um, <laughs> th- this message goes to people in Nova and D.C. Your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. Um, Marylanders deserve none of that. I, I wouldn't go that far, Ben, but we'll, but we'll people, in Nova, and people in Northern Virginia and D.C. that definitely applies to you. I can't speak to whether it applies in Maryland. Uh, if you have suffered from workplace discrimination or wage theft, uh, you're, you're dealing with some non-competition or non-solicitation litigation, your civil rights have been violated, uh, or there's been an illegal taking by the government, or you have uh, disability issues, or you have uh, a complaint in education law, then the Ehrlich Law Office is who you should talk to. They're good friends of the show. Uh, I, I know the the lawyers there personally, they are really good at their jobs and they're really good people. Uh, and you should check them out for a free consultation. Go to EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Okay. All right. I, don't, I, I never appear with Adam. So when Adam is here, I, I will not. I refuse to approach <laughs> coming on the podcast. <laughs> so as we look ahead, this is, um, this is an important stretch of games and made more important by the start that United has had. I don't know. I thought if you could pick off a couple of points and have a have a nice, solid draw, draw, maybe throw a win in and with some of these losses, because there were some very difficult road games at the beginning of the season. We're on a run now where United will play five of the next six games at home. And judging by the points that they did not pick up during that tough stretch, that makes this stretch even more important. And it starts uh, against Vancouver Whitecaps at RFK. Um 
Well, I, I'm going to ask you first, Jason, because you mentioned that they were shorthanded. Uh, the Whitecaps are coming in shorthanded. It seems to be a running theme uh, with United opponents where they come in shorthanded or they're shorthanded as it is. And uh, United has failed to capitalize thus far on that. Uh, how shorthanded are the Whitecaps going to be uh, on Saturday? Uh, in central midfield, very short. Um, Pedro Morales was subbed off after 19 minutes uh, against the Galaxy. Matias Laba then got himself sent off. Um, I don't that's know. Huge. Yeah, that's, that's, those that's two players are huge. Um, you know, Morales is one of the highest paid players in the, players in the league for a reason. Um, and a lot of what Vancouver does is built around him because of his ability to play passes over long range um, and pick out runners. Uh, he really changes the game for them. Um, Laba, one of the best defensive midfielders in the entire league. Um, so they've got to replace those guys. Uh, Kakuta Mane was subbed just before halftime with uh, – some sort of injury um, with both of those, you know, there's no, I haven't seen anything saying they're definitely out, but you know, you get subbed for an injury. You've got to suspect that the guy's going to have a hard time playing in a week. Um, uh, even if you go down their bench, Russell Tybert uh, has been out for a few weeks with a calf problem. I don't think he's played a minute this season, which is a shame because he's an excellent player. Um, and then Keon's froze one of their homegrown, actually he and Tybert are both homegrown players, but um Froze has, I, I think, a concussion, and he actually got a couple starts in central midfield for them early in the season. So they're really, really short down the middle. Um, they just got Andrew Jacobson, who was once a United player. Um, they got him for, uh, I think, for Tam, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he has played both games since he arrived, but both of those have been by necessity. Um, they played during the international window. He stepped in at center back um, because they just literally had no one else they, they could go to. Um, this week, when he uh, when Morales went down injured, they sent him in. Um, they were already playing a four four two. Morales wasn't playing his normal attacking midfield. Or no, never mind. They weren't playing four four two. They were lined up looking like a four four two on uh, the roster graphic. Um, Morales was still in the. He and Laba were sort of alongside each other in the holding midfield roles. Um, Jacobson replaced him. And at that point, you're sort of, as Vancouver, you're sort of conceding that you're not going to be a front foot uh, team or as dangerous at least anymore. Um, he's definitely going to play. But, you know, if if even if Morales comes back fit, I think Jacobson appears to be someone that uh, Carl Robinson thinks pretty highly of. So he'll play for Laba if Laba or I mean, if Morales can't play, then you've got to fit Jacobson with somebody else. And at that point, you start to get pretty desperate. Um Davey Flores, uh, I think I don't think he's played for Honduras' senior team. I think he's played for their under-23s. Um, a player with a lot of potential, but also his he started their first game of the season against Montreal and had a pretty pretty nightmarish game, and he hasn't played much since. But they might not have many other options. I, I'm, I've got their roster pulled up uh, on my desktop, and I'm as far as guys that can play as a second central midfielder, that's pretty much all they've got. It's those two or change your formation entirely. Um, they can play as a, out of a diamond. They've done it before, but their wingers don't really fit the diamond mold. Um, they're, they're out wide uh, chalk on their shoes uh, wingers. They're speedsters. They're not guys that tuck in and play possession. So it's a, it, Carl Robinson has a lot of work to do this week. He is, he is in a difficult position because he's down to pretty much bare bones down central midfield. So, you know, hopefully United can actually punish somebody for coming in so short, after the last two weeks. Um, how exciting is a match between two empty buckets? Because that just sounds like <laughs> something where you're like, this is a showcase for the league. It, it might 
it might not be a thriller. I think Vancouver's going to sit deep and look to counter because they've still got speed. Even if Mane doesn't play, they've still got plenty of speed. They've got Christian Tachera. Um, they've got Eric Hurtado, who hasn't played yet this season, but has been making the bench. Um, not that he's necessarily the most watchable player in the league. He's fast, and that's more or less the whole package. Um, so it, it could be a, a good game to watch um, from their, their perspective uh, because of the fact that they're probably just coming here and saying, let's get something out of this game. Um, when we're this short, it doesn't matter. The, the, I, I think as much as Vancouver plays better soccer than a lot of teams, they're more exciting to watch. When they're this short of this many guys, they're not going to care about the aesthetic aspect at all. Um, so it's on United to go out and do something about it. Um, they might, Vancouver might change to a 4-4-2, a flatter 4-4-2 now. Um, they've done it in the past. They've got Blas Perez uh, to partner Octavio Rivero. A couple weeks ago, they had Masato Kudo, the Japanese guy they signed, um, who has played for Japan's national team. So it's not like he's just some random guy. Um, they played him with Rivero as a, as a forward pairing. I think they're still in a stage where they seem like they're trying to figure some things out. Um, this week, you know, they might not have the choice of shifting between many formations. They might just say, well, we've only got two healthy central midfielders, so we're kind of stuck. Uh, this is all we can do. If they want to play 4-2-3-1, which is, I think, what they would love to do in an ideal scenario, they've got Nicholas Mesquita. They can play him in the middle. But, um, you know, whether he starts in this game, I don't know, because this game might – it behoove it probably behooves Vancouver to make this an ugly game and look for mistakes because at this point United hasn't proven that they can play 90 minutes without those big mistakes. And Vancouver might say, let's just take our chances on trying to get a shutout and just hoping that we can pounce when the mistake comes. I'm going to hope that this bodes well for United. Um, and we also can't forget to factor in that they're flying across country, which is never uh, an easy journey going either direction, but I'm hopeful. And if you're, if you're right, Jason, uh, those forwards or those potential forwards for Vancouver are much better matchup for a Boswell Burnbaum uh, center back pairing than having which United has been kind of playing against these these kind of small creative guys unlocking the defense. Uh, I, I like Boswell Burnbaum chances against two traditional out and out forwards who are big guys who who want to mix it up. Yeah, it, it definitely goes towards their strengths where it's, it's more of a physical game. It's a more of an aerial game. Um, especially, especially with, with Burnbaum, he's going to win a header against Rivero or Kudo or Perez every time. Um, Perez is, a, is the biggest of the three strikers, but he's still not going to compete as far as, a in terms yeah. of leaping with, with Burnbaum. So, um, it will be interesting to see how they would handle that. Um, as far as Vancouver's side of it goes with, using Perez maybe to try and draw fouls um, to try and draw Boswell, especially into overly physical contact early Blas Perez. No one likes playing against Blas Perez because he, he takes cheap shots. He provokes you uh, verbally on and off the ball. And then when you go anywhere near him, he's on the ground. Um, it, he's a classic CONCACAF player. And that's a problem for, for United because they've, they've made some mistakes Um this season with, with not necessarily giving away fouls in terrible spots, but in general, there have been mistakes and he's going to provide a challenge that they haven't really seen this season. Um, so with the exception maybe of Burnbaum's brief uh, minutes against Carlos Ruiz, but you know, in that game, Guatemala didn't really so much attack. So uh, he doesn't really have the, the Blas Perez uh, primer. Um, 
And then on the other hand, if you're Robinson, you could say, okay, they're not prepared for that, but they're also not prepared for Kudo, who there's one game of tape of him uh, yeah. playing in MLS. So, um, and and he in the J League, I think he was, he's only like 25, and he already had like 40 something goals. Um, so he's no joke, um, and he's a guy that that they would have as sort of a wild card at this point. Rivero uh, does like to play back to goal, and I think Boswell and Burmont can can do well in that matchup because they've got a size advantage. Um, Rivero hasn't looked particularly sharp this season either, so um, at least in front of goal, you know his hold up play has still been pretty good, but he's not a big guy, uh, and he doesn't have like Quincy Ameriqua is a, a very strong smaller yeah. player that has a lot of mobility. Rivero isn't as fast; he's not as dynamic as Ameriqua, so. Um, that is favorable. Uh, what would worry me is the speed that they have on the flanks. That, you know, Mane being out might actually be as big as Morales and Laba because, you know, United hasn't transitioned to defense that quickly yet. And if you've got Teixeira and Mane running at you, even the best teams in the league struggle with that. So that, I think, is where I look at it. It's not so much the forwards that I'm worried about. I think they, I think you're right that they can handle the strikers that Vancouver has to choose from. I think the danger is down the wings in this game. And looking at it from the flipping it to the other side of the pitch, and Ben, I'll pull you in if, if you feel comfortable speaking on this. Um, if it's Waston and, and uh, Tim Parker, who looked fantastic against Columbia, uh, well, looked very good. I don't want to, they did, nobody really looked fantastic for, for the national <laughs> yeah. team. The under 23s there, but he looked, he looked very good and he had a really good year last year, but you would figure the the way that United perf- has to attack, which is smaller guys doing one touch stuff and and trying to spring somebody with a pass, that would that would you would think play well against that center back pairing. Yeah, definitely, and I think it, it just like we talked about in the last segment, it's a way that United has to get Acosta onto the field for this game, not only just because he's one of their best offensive players, but for this specific. Uh, uh, defensive situation that Vancouver is going to put out there. Um, I think you want Acosta against those uh, against those center backs. So maybe having him in the middle rather than on the wing, like we've been talking about, uh, might suit him and might suit this situation uh, better. But I think regardless of where you have to get him on the field this game, and I think Chris Rolf is also you also want him in this game. He can provide some. Uh, some creativity, some trickery on the ball as well. And so it may be that a Fabiano Spindola sits, even though you might think he's also that kind of player who might play well against them just because of the fact that he's not in good form right now. You may want to sit him, have him as an option off of the bench in the second half when everybody's tired, and then uh, hopefully you can seal the game away at that point. I'm going to come out and say it, and I'm going to I'm going to basically steal what both of you guys said. I'm going to take it as my own, and I'm going to say that is Roach's key to the game, and it's going to be wide play. Um, I think the the team that's that's who, whose outside backs can shut down the other team's wide play is going to have more goal scoring opportunities, and the team that can unlock the the their wide play is going to be the team that is going to prevail. How about that? Yeah, and actually that, that makes me think of the underrated player for DC United who's been one of their best players this season so far that we haven't talked about has been Sean Franklin. And yes. he's just been excellent in defense, excellent going forward as well. And we don't really think about him because we kind of take him for granted at this point. But he's been 
excellent so far this year. And if he can have another big game, I think he could be a key uh, to helping DC United win, just like you said. Now, was 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 um, was Franklin on Castillo in the FC Dallas match? Because he was uh, to, it, for most of the match, he was very quiet. Um, it was really the other side that that gave most of the problems for United. Yeah, uh, they were matched up against each other. It was that was an interesting game. I I wrote a very long thing about um, how Dallas did. Uh, did in DC United in that game, and a lot of it had to do with them being willing to ask guys like Fabian Castillo, Moro Diaz, and Michael Barrios to sacrifice and play defensively, and they kind of cut uh, Franklin and Kemp out of the game. Franklin, I think, had the one connected cross for for United from the two fullbacks, um, which is much lower than they normally had. It's a much lower total than they normally have. Um, But yeah, he was dealing with Castillo, and it was interesting to watch Dallas say, let's take Castillo and ask him to defend and not, and they really didn't find much uh, going forward with him. It, it helped that they scored early. They didn't really have to. Um, I mean, if they had kept attacking, the game probably would have turned into a route. It was just one of those nights where, um, you know, Dallas had a, a better plan and they had an excellent team going forward and they were sharp, but also it just wasn't United's night. You know, it's the kind of night where, my friend Brian standing right next to me in the stands when United won the penalty before he even knew who was taking, he said, we're not going to score the penalty uh, <laughs> because it's just this kind of night. It's a, it's one of those nights where it just doesn't happen. And he was right. Of course, um, and when Espindola took the penalty, he actually was like, I can't watch. Um, he, he took it one step further, but um, yeah, it, it, Franklin has, has had a very good game. He's going to, or a season, I should say um, he's going to have a, a interesting situation where we don't know if he's going to be facing Mane or, Christian Bolaños or whether it's going to be a winger higher up the field in a 4-2-3-1 or if it's going to they're going to go to the the 4-4-2 and he'll have maybe a little more room to step a little higher up the field um so it's one of those where he's probably just got to prepare himself for for everything and focus on what he can do well and then when the lineups come out you just you you know shift gears at that point but you know Vancouver's uncertainty is a negative for them because it means players are out, but it's positive in that, you know, Franklin's got to look at different options. It's not just, okay, I'm playing against Kakuta Mane who has uh, rockets and issues. So I have to be more cautious. Um, if they play Bolaños, Franklin should probably be attacking more because Bolaños is, I think 33 or 34. Um, he's not really, he's not really a winger per se. He's an outside in kind of guy. Um, he wants to come inside and connect. And so it's a, it's a totally different game at that point for a fullback. Um, but I do think overall the wide play, it is going to be big. Um, I want to see Lamar Nagel, if he's on the left again, get at Fraser, Fraser aired their right back. Um, Montreal really exposed that he's not good defending on the dribble. Um, and granted it was Ignacio Piatti. So it's a very high bar of dribbler coming at him, but, um, Piatti made air look like a guy that they picked out of the stands rather than a guy that played for Rangers and is, I think he's been capped for Canada now. Um, Piotti made it, it was brutal to watch. Uh, it was almost like you wanted to be like, please, please stop Piotti. Stop doing this. <laughs> um, now that granted that was just one game and Aird has recovered from that. He's now keeping Jordan Smith out of the lineup at right back. It's not, it's not like he's their only option. He's earned the job, but I do think he's beatable. Um, and I do think that, uh, on the other side with with um, Jordan Harvey, if United can attack him, it, it's going to keep him home, and that's important because he's he never stops running. He's always overlapping. He's not necessarily a guy that you worry about 
because he's so skillful. It's just that he overlaps so often that eventually good things happen just from the sheer quantity of of times that he's come forward and the the additional threat he provides. He's just one more person coming in the attack. Um, so I think United needs to give him a reason to stay home. Um, and if Niarco is fit, then that's you know a great way, reason for him to stay home straight away. If he's not, whoever comes in for him at right midfield has to provide has to establish really early in the game that they're an attacking threat that Jordan Harvey can't just go forward every single time. He's got to yeah. be cautious because if you cut him out of the game, it's one less person to deal with on the attacking side. And it's sort of, you know, if you can attack him, it also means you have one less guy to worry about defensively. And so it sort of bleeds together. Um, and it, that's really one area that I'm really concerned with. It, 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 I'm concerned with it, but it's also a great opportunity. Um, and it might be, Right, our right midfield versus Vancouver's left back. That might be more than anything else the the spot to watch on the field for this one. The um, it, 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 I love Ben Olsen, but I'm about to tell you one of the things that frustrates me about Ben Olsen. You have a team, as you mentioned, that's that's coming in depleted, coming in depleted in the central midfield, flying across the continent uh, to play. This is and you're at home. This is the perfect time to kind of take a chance and say, all right, I'm going to put Acosta at the top of a, of, not of a diamond, but in midfield and, and see if Jeffrey or whoever you're going to put in that uh, defensive midfield role, see if he can just lock it down on, on his own rather than having two defensive kind of minded uh, center midfielders. And you know he's not. You know he's just going to put the same team out there because he's so dogmatic, I guess, to, to how he wants to play. This is this would be the time to go. I want an experiment, and I'm going to experiment right now with with somebody with a cost. I keep saying as a central midfielder or a creative attacking midfielder, but it's not going to happen. So I'm not even get my hopes up about it. I mean, yeah, you're you could because I mean at this point, even though he's been the best field player for United, you know what Sarvas gives you. So you could bring in Sarvas if, even if it's not working in like the 35th minute. You could just bring Sarvas yes, in at that point exactly. and then just pa- and paper over everything and then exactly. you're good to go for the rest of the game. But yeah, like you said, it, it's it's not going to happen. It'd be interesting. <laughs> it, it, it can't be much worse than what's happened so far. So, Well, I, I would caution against saying that we could paper things over in the 35th minute because this team has been, and just because the last couple of weeks they haven't done it, this team gives up an incredible amount of early goals. Um, and they did it against Dallas and they've done it a couple other times this season. And last year it was like one of the most baffling things I've ever seen in my life. Um, their ability to give up goals early. Um, and you know, this is a team that has shown they're not gonna, they can't, yes, they did it last year twice where they came out guns blazing against Philly and RSL and managed to save those games from, from being a, a debacle. But generally speaking, that doesn't happen to the best of teams. If you, if you concede early, you're in deep trouble. Um, and if you're at home and you concede early, it just the, the visiting team already was probably thinking defensively. Now they're like, great, you know, all we have to do is not allow soccer to happen. Uh, and soccer is very fragile. It's very easy to make it not happen. Um, and so, you know, Dallas did that last week. They said, okay, you know, we just have to get through. And, and United actually started the game pretty well. Yes, Dallas gets their goal from a mistake, and at that point, like you might as well shut the place down. At that point, um, United never recovered, and they never, you know, Dallas scored the second one. It was like, all right, this game's sunk. Um, you know, if if Dallas does something incredibly stupid, we might get back into the game, but it's probably gonna happen before halftime. Um, and we all know how the game ended. 
Um, so well, I'd like I'd like to say this, and United is my team, uh, and I love them. Uh, but the team that got me into soccer is is Ajax, and for United to allow a goal in the 14th minute, yes, they were doing the Cruyff tribute on the screen. It was brutal. Me off to no end. <laughs> And by the way, the only reason I knew they were doing it because I was looking to see a replay of the goal. Yes. And I'm like, oh, they're doing a Cruyff thing up there. Great. This is right. a perfect time to do it while the entire crowd is just stand- is just going, oh, man, we're down. Hey, Cruyff, good job. Right. Like, like I pretty much had the same experience. Like, my, my reaction was when the goal was scored, I wanted to see what minute it was. And I happened to be looking in that direction. And it's like, oh, they're doing a Cruyff thing. And I was like Cruyff looking at out. it. And, Hard. and people are talking, you know. People are upset about who did this and that. Yes. And I'm looking at this thing like, oh, and they're like, what are you looking at? It's like, they're doing the Cruyff thing. We're doing it's, a Cruyff thing time. up here. It's the time to have done it. It's just, you know, you know, I think the ball went in the back of that at 13.01. It was like it was literally as the 14th minute was starting. It was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. Um, but, you know, the giving up the early goals thing is just, it's it's ridiculous. Um, and, and it shouldn't happen. It, it did not happen against San Jose. Um, and hopefully the Dallas game was the last time we have to deal with it for a while because I would love to not have to spend some time tabulating how many games, uh, how many times this has happened in X number of games. I've done that three or four times now. Um, I imagine our readers are going to get sick of it at a certain point, but it keeps being relevant because we keep giving up the early goal. Um, so that that is just one more reason. I mean, also, we know for, for a fact that we're not going to see a Sarvas, Acosta, two-man midfield or Jeffrey... Uh, with Sarvas being left out. I, at this point, you can't leave Sarvas out, and you also can't partner him with Acosta. They wouldn't fit together. Um, I don't think don't they would work. As, as, don't cross our dreams. Seriously. We have dreams. I, I, this is my role in the show, is to ruin things, whether it's my microphone or uh, Adam's train of thought. That's that's what I do. It's a it, it's an extension of who I was as a player. I own Destroyer. I come <laughs> in and ruin. Uh, I don't construct. I destroy um, do we uh, do we do do we do predictions on this podcast? Is that a thing that happens? We can do predictions. Wait, wait, I, I don't I don't want to disrupt things. I, I just think, disrupt away. We've had, we've had guests do predictions. Um, I'll do a prediction so, too. Yeah, we'll do go it. ahead, Ben. Um, I'm gonna go with what the heck? I'm I'm optimistic. I'm gonna go with a two-one United win. Very nice. Uh, one nothing United. Not not a pleasant game. It'll be like a burn bomb, scrappy burn bomb goal off a set piece, but one nothing, and we'll I, be happy about it because it's a win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll be damn happy about it. I will. Uh, I'll tell you that I I told you the key was wide play, um, but the difference will be the keeper play, and uh, the Whitecaps have a and much superior keeper uh, than United will trot out. So I'm going to go the other way and say it'll be. One nil, Vancouver. That's probably the more reasonable is prediction. It, is it not an early goal? At least. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, you know, Adam's got a lot to live up to now. So um, I hope, I hope he, uh, I hope you guys aren't spoiled, and you can move forward with this podcast with with an inferior host. No, after we're, this. we're totally spoiled, and we're going to take it out on Adam. 